Darkest Dungeon, Maximum Car, Taekwondo, and Richard Simpson from We're Not Wizards. This is staying in. But it's very relaxed because you feel you're kind of like dropping into somebody else's conversation. The way you just get the click of the kettle. Yeah. And then it's just like, did I ever tell you about the time I was fighting two six-year-olds at Taekwondo? <laughs> <laughs> You've heard our outtakes. <laughs> it's like it's like Chris is here with us. No, it is. No, that no, that I did. I did fight two six-year-olds at Taekwondo. Did you actually did do you? that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. How, How old were you at the time? I mean, did you? Now, hold on a sec. I mean, right. we need to probe further into this. Were yeah. you um, six at the time? Because that makes it a lot more sensible. Was it? No, it was uh, last week. <laughs> was it that you were doing? Was it that you were doing the taekwondo and they were not doing the taekwondo? In which case, this is a slightly more serious situation. Or is it that you were all doing the taekwondo and it was a it was a sort of yeah? It was that. It's the okay. second one. It's not the first one. It's not like I went and I came out of Tesco's and I saw two kids like playing about on the the machine. You know, what are you climbing yeah. all over that bus? Get off of it. The kids so want to get you in, the in a taekwondo bus. class. Were you basically were you on the same level as as the six year olds? I think that's it, pretty much. No, oh, I think man. yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I've started. I've gone down this kind of. I think this year's my midlife crisis because okay. I've kind of. I started. I did. I've done technical hobby, mm-hmm. you know. So I've done the podcast, which is mm-hmm. a technical hobby. So yeah. we're not wizards, is born. Tick. I've started trying to play football with people ridiculously younger than my age. Mm-hmm. So I end up like almost dying halfway through the actual <laughs> football match. Are they six-year-olds as well? What's that? No. Are they six-year-olds <laughs> no. as well? No, 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 no. Nine. Okay. Nine. Possibly okay. ten. Nine. Possibly yeah, ten. Yeah, yeah. As long as you've but, hit double digits, that's fine. Well, I think you can get away with it. But And then um, last week I picked up... Well, last week I went and got my eyes tested, and it turns out I need reading glasses. Which Ooh, is... Reading glasses? Reading? Yeah, I know, but reading glasses are weird because it's, it puts you in this alternate universe where all of a sudden you can read. And all of a sudden, <laughs> everything within three feet of you yeah. is crystal clear. I mean, it's yeah. like, you know, I think I put on, it's almost like buying a PlayStation Pro and yeah. having yourself four HD or HDR or whatever. Yeah. Everything's yeah. wonderful. And the trouble is, when you look up, everything beyond about three feet is completely <laughs> blurry. <laughs> So you can't see anything at all. So I'm trying to do work today, and I'm like looking at my computer, and my boss shouts up at me and says, oh, have you done this? And I look up at him, and I just can't see him at all. He's yeah. just like a big blurry, blurry mess. So I've got my reading glasses, which means I can kind of read and kind of see and kind of not. And then I forget every time I go up for a coffee that I can't see where I'm going now, and I keep tripping over stuff, which is rubbish. <laughs> it's no good. Is that, how you, is that how you got into the fight with the children then? So. No, well, the fight with the children is this is my next thing, which is I started Taekwondo classes mm-hmm. because I am um, over the age of 40 and I went, I'm one of these, you sit down and you go, how much exercise do I actually do? Because usually when you go to the doctor, the doctor says like, so how much exercise would you say you do on a week, you know, a weekly mm-hmm. basis? And you fudge it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they say, it's at least half an hour a day and you say, well, I kind of walk down from a bed to get a cup of tea. <laughs> That's, yeah, that could potentially take half an hour. Yeah. And I know, I'm, I know I'm out of breath when I'm at the bottom of the stairs. So. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm out like of exercise. breath, it's exercise. That is definitely it. Well, my pul- pulse is racing and stuff. And I sat down and I went, okay, I want to start gent- I want to start some gentle exercise. I want to get yeah. myself a bit fit, um, you know, look after myself, st- um, strengthen myself up. 
So rather than go walking or jogging, mm. I decide to go into a full contact sport that <laughs> involves <laughs> kicking as high as you possibly can. So I'm starting to do this, and they do like exercises at the beginning. So my face is red, I'm sweating like a mess. And then the instructor says, okay, you're at the beginning. So what you have to learn is you've got to learn how to take a kick. You've got to learn how to take a punch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which you have to. But at the same time, he says, also, we've got young people here who also need to learn how to take a kick and take a punch. <laughs> okay, can I just say, this this classroom environment is getting more and more suspicious as the story goes on. I've, I've got a feeling that the instructor loves opening up a new class. Yeah, so yeah. I'm just, I'm just like, <laughs> do you imagine do you, I'm standing there? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm standing there, yeah, and he's saying... So you gotta learn how to take a you know, you gotta learn how to take a kick and a punch because that's the main thing about it. Yeah. So first of all, in the first lesson I get teamed up with a black belt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's doing the moves, totally doing the moves. And I'm you know and it's one of these things, you know in Fight Club how he says, you know, you ever been in a fight before? How do you know, you know, how do you really know yourself if you haven't been in a fight? And see when you get hit and it hurts a bit it's mm. actually not as bad as you think it's going to be. Yeah. But this black belt was going for it. And then I said, okay, okay, that's fine, that's fine. <laughs> that's enough, that's enough. Bit. That's enough, okay, okay, okay. He says, now what? He says, and then he presents me and he puts, he goes, here, I want you to fight these two people. Now, I haven't looked properly and I turn around and there's two six-year-olds there. Right, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you think, but you think maybe they're they're people who are like really, really short because you haven't got your reading glasses on. I, 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 didn't, I didn't know I needed them at the time. I yeah. think <laughs> if I had my reading glasses on, so, it would have been in a lot of trouble. So how did they? How did they, how did you um, how did you get on against the the mighty opponent? Well, it's a contact sport, but you're also aware that the class is kind of like mixed. So you have got black belts all the way down to basically kids that are like f- six years old right. that are just starting out, kind of mm. starting to get their belts properly. So there's the parents in the room next door. So I'm conscious. <laughs> I'm, I'm conscious, all right? watching you. This yeah. guy's looking out and seeing, all right, he's standing there next to little Johnny. This will be interesting. And I look round and I clock this parent, and the look is just one of, that's fine. I know you've got to fight him, but if you even hurt him... And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so like that. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'll punch a little bit. <laughs> And I'll pretend, I'll pretend to kick a bit, but I won't do it too hard. Yeah. But then, my fundamental flaw yeah. in the whole thing was realizing the height that six-year-olds are. <laughs> and when they kick you, they kick you in the shins. <laughs> and when they punch straight out in front of them. Mm. You can guess whereabouts they can hit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but on the bright side, when you kick them, you kick them in the head. So they only do it once. It was yeah. like it was like Bruce Lee in Enter the Dragon. You know when he gets and goes and kicks the boss, <laughs> and he just <laughs> he just flies across the room. And you know it was a model in the film. And you saw like, Wah! didn't you do uh, martial arts at some point, Pete? Mm, yeah, I did. Yeah, I was. Um... Didn't you get what? What did you? Didn't you get like to like green belt or something? Um, yeah, I got I got um, just over halfway through the ranking, um, uh, through the belt ranking, and got to the point where so I was number number two in the world at one point in my in my chosen martial no, art. No, you my, weren't. In my yeah, in my 
I mean, the thing is, it's a relatively small martial art. It's, it's actually the Taekwondo and the uh, the martial art I used to do, which is called Tang Sadao. Uh, they're both offshoots of the same martial art. So mm. martial arts have like different higher, um, family trees, and um, yeah, so they're they're sort of cousins of one another. The the two martial arts, but my but Taekwondo is massively popular. So me saying I'm sec- I was second in the world <laughs> for my height. And weight and age and whatever it was like and whatever it was like yeah it wasn't I mean it's, it was okay but yeah I did that and uh, I remember the exercises being utterly insane like there's this one thing that we used to have called something called horse stance which is where yeah. you ha- have to you you sort of stretch your legs out so that you have them sort of shoulder width apart and then the idea is that you bend at the knees and you keep your back straight and you bring your uh, you bring your butt down to the back of your knees, the length, the height of the back of your knees, um, and then basically, and you're like, oh, okay, that's quite painful after about 15, 20 seconds. Um, and to get to the belt that I was on in the end, I had to do, I think, seven minutes straight. Uh, and at the end of it, like, basically your legs just lock. Your legs are like, well, I'm going away now. <laughs> like, I'm going to go over here and, uh, like, just forget that, that this is a thing um yeah so i had to do that and then basically the idea was if you couldn't in the in the belt ranking test if you couldn't do it for however many minute minutes it was you had to then run a lap do 50 push-ups and then do it all again from start <laughs> and it was like cool um yeah so yeah it was yeah, it was good fun i never realized pete that you were the muscle of the group I was, yeah, no, yeah, I was really yeah. good. I genuinely, uh, before I went to university, there was there were basically three paths that I could go down. This is absolutely true, and anybody who's since seen me in real life will think, well, that I'm, it's probably good you didn't go down some of them. One <laughs> of them was basically I can either go to university and study acting, like that was, well, go to university. That was the option. From hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Mm. Right, it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant choice because um, okay. Richard doesn't know you, so okay. Okay. give yeah. give Richard your three options. Yeah, I will okay. hear this. Yeah. Um, and, okay. and he's going to and and let and see if Richard can guess which route you went down. Okay. So oh, okay. there were three options that I could go down. I could okay. go to university and study uh-huh. uh study acting. Right. Uh I could I could go into basically basically get a flight to Tibet and study with the monks for 3 years. <laughs> uh what? Jesus. So that was that was a that was that was a that was one option. That was uh, that was on the table. You're saying that and, seriously? <laughs> and then the other option was uh, go and join the army as an officer. Oh, they were basically straight, straight into officer class. Straight. Well, yeah, basically because I have a grammar school education. If you have a grammar school education, you go straight in as an officer. I mean, or, or at least I, I, that was what we were told when we were at, at grammar school. They were like, if you join the army, you'll go in as an officer. Uh, you do basic training for X number of months, and then you become an officer. But you do. You, I mean, you you sound you're very very kind of well spoken. So I can imagine you <laughs> hanging around with a lot of other so, spoke, softly spoken, well spoken people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the army uh, or monks or monks. Yeah, that's what I was say. It could be monks, couldn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, I look at you, Pete, and I do tend to think Tibetan monks. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. what I think of. I'm gonna. I, I don't know. I think. Um, um, oh. Is this for any money, or is it for the star <laughs> prize? Uh, I don't, this is I like don't the think chase, you can put a price it? on this, really. I don't, yeah. I, I, it, it's like lie to me, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, which one is it? You know, I am, I'm probably going to say that you, you went and, and, and uh, probably did a bit of acting. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, that's what I think you did. Yeah. So so basically I basically the the sort of branching pathway was essentially I could go and do acting, which was something I was really interested in, or I could go and do study further studying of martial arts uh in yeah, basically in somewhere where you can study it full time, uh which there's only very few places in the world where you can do it. And the job that I would do after that would be like would then marry that up with the acting or international mm-hmm. assassin. Well, yeah, international assassin. <laughs> or, but yeah, like like you know, like oh, body double or stunt double or or marsh, like I don't know oh martial God, arts acting is, or something. This is wonder. It's like I've never ever yeah not wanted to mm. ne- never before have I wanted to experience a parallel universe more than now <laughs> or yeah. never, never before have I realised that I'm in the boring universe right, are we right, yeah. boring Pete yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. we could have had Pete Willington international man of mystery your, your parents had such a different view of you to what my parents of me because there was a good chance I wasn't going to get into uni and I found out after I kind of got the marks that I needed that my mum and dad my mum and dad were already planning to kind of Get me trained up to work as like a hotel concierge, and like work as a ho- <laughs> become like hotel manager. You trained that's, up? That's the future they get saw you tra- for me. What do you mean? Get you trained up? Like, oh like waking, what like you waking no. you up in the morning well, no, and they, being they, like, they "Come were, on, Dan, Dan, do your sheets. Come on." No, Dan. Dan yeah, Dan. Oh, uh, are, you, are they basically? Were they basically asking you to like just do some laundry or like? No, they were. They they're, they're open you, the doors. The career that they had played planned out for me <laughs> yeah. would be me running a hotel. Uh-huh. <laughs> what? That, that was that was the idea that they had in their mind for me. That that's like hotel management was was a career that I would be good at, and there was money you, in, and I could do that. Had you expressed an interest in hotel management? No, <laughs> no, this no. Is brilliant. What? A, oh my god! What? I don't understand how of all the <laughs> careers, I don't what? understand. What? I want to run a Linton weird travel is that talent. I now actually work in hotels or well, work with <laughs> hotels. Good. Yeah, a- absolutely fiery reg. Going full reg like I did uh, uh, at, uh, uh, in our pen and paper RPG that we played. Oh, my weekend. God. <laughs> right. Okay. So, okay. so I-, I guess, well, I, gu- I guess, Sam, if you want to set the backstory for what this is. So, uh, Pete, it was your birthday. At, um, it was. A couple of weekends ago. It was. And, Happy birthday. Um, thank birthday. you very much. Thank you. And uh, I, I said... Everyone come to come to my house because you don't want to be hosting on your birthday. You know you don't want to be doing stuff and clearing clearing up after people. Yeah. Um, so I thought come around to mine and we'll host. And mm. I think as part of hosting duties now, we've kind of started to do a thing where well, if you're hosting, you might as well write an RPG and put yeah. that on while yeah. whilst people around you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we played uh, we played Dread again, but oh. a, a um, a, uh, I kind of changed it up a bit because um, we played um, Dread a few and we spoke about it a few shows ago and uh, Dan wrote this incredible story about us going on a journey um, on this sci-fi adventure and it, basically from then on I got into my head that wouldn't it be brilliant if you could play a Dread game but have all the elements where you're pulling from the tower being con- being a bit more contextual and being actually linked to a physical kind of movement. And when I said that I was going to write the next RPG, I got I got this idea in my head and I thought, 
wouldn't be brilliant when you're like lifting a case off a valuable watch that at the same time you've got that image in your head you're also pulling from a tower um so i got this idea of writing uh an rpg around around a heist for dread um because dread uses a mechanic that you're essentially pulling from the tower to increase tension as it's a a horror game but i kind of wanted to play on that a little bit because that was the one flaw in not dan's game but i think in the entire dread design that you shy away from pulling from the tower because you're scared basically uh, yeah you're scared the consequences are too great your character essentially dies or something catastrophic happens and you kind of end up like stepping away from moments of great action or you know tension or whatever so i wanted my version of dread to be slightly different so i essentially took away the pulling from the the tower and had that as a totally totally separate mechanic and then then brought in lots of Dungeons and Dragons dice rolls and made it quite simple for you I hope I made it quite simple for you yeah. Pete Dan and Chris um like gave you four um abilities um strength uh athletics it was strength and- dexterity charisma wisdom and strength yeah and within those there was four traits so like within the traits of strength it was like attacking dodging uh and something else and all those things would require a dice roll to do rather than a pull from the tower and that was kind of my way of trying to get you trying to encourage you more to live within the story rather than worry about right if i do this is he going to make me pull from the tower yeah um and so i basically sent you guys off on this heist journey set in the 80s um before we played i'd sent you each uh an envelope with a coded message inside and you brought all that with you and we like had 80s music on in the background and i think it went quite well i mean how did you guys take to it oh it went brilliantly yeah it went really really absolutely fantastic yeah i think you mitigated the um the the sort of the thing with the the tower quite nicely actually like it felt like it felt like I, we wanted to take a few more risks like yeah it definitely got around that yeah. um yeah no it was really really good and i i think the the really cool thing about it was um like obviously within within the the core dread rule set that dan was playing on it worked really really well for that horror themed uh, oh, yeah, themed game yeah um, and yours was much more heisty, and there was opportunities for us to be a bit funnier without breaking the. Oh my god! It was yeah. I, th- I think when I think that's the one thing that dice rolls can do. Yeah. Because the the tower is quite a binary result. Yeah. Like you you mm. you fail or you or you succeed. Um, uh, you either succeed in a very. It's basically you're either rolling a nat 20 with that tower by succeeding yeah. or yeah. you're rolling a one by yeah. failing it's like a a unqualified success or it's an unqualified failure yeah. but with the dice rolls what i've always felt with is there's a lot because there's a bit of a muddy sort of middle ground there's a lot more potential for things to things happen and for stories within that to develop yeah so my idea when i was writing 
the heist, as it was imaginatively called, was that for you actually not to pull from the tower until the final act, because I wanted to kind of get you into this comfortable position where you were, as players, you were a lot more engaged with the stories. And when it came to pull from the tower, you were you were in a position where it not only reflected the story a lot more, but also you realised that there was a big, strong link to yeah. why you had to pull from the tower. Yeah. And my idea was is that you were locked in this... You were basically locked in the jail cell in the third act. And every lock... And, and you you were locked in the jail cell in the third act and you'd uncovered this master key. But every time you wanted to use the master key, you had to pull from the tower. Yeah. So it's the idea of, like, turning the key slowly in the lock and like the key like molds to the to the lock shape and if you're able to pull from this jenga tower and put the thing on top the idea was that your dexterity in changing the lock was enough that the key was able to form and locks able to open and then basically it was like that's a mechanic now i'm going to put things in your way um and tempt you yeah and see so you were escaping from these um from this prison basically this uh, police police uh, station and your route between you and the exit was basically lots of tempting things that i was basically just like what can i get these guys to do so there was like an armory that was locked there he was, went straight uh, for the armory <laughs> <laughs> why yeah so, so isn't his hands yeah, deadly yeah, weapons you guys talk about it <laughs> I thought, yeah, your, yeah. I thought your hands would just be deadly weapons. You wouldn't need to. <laughs> <laughs> Pete basically funneled his entire history of martial arts and violence into his character. Yeah. Was a shouting. <clears throat> was a shouting and running and screaming. There Pete. was a fair amount of... Um, <laughs> yeah, there was, uh, there was some... The air yeah. was considerably bluer at the end of the... Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. goodness. Oh, you, 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 so, you, so, Pete, you created this character called Reggie... Reggie Bates. Reggie, Reggie Bates. Bates. Awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Reggie Bates. And, and did you put an accent like, on Pete? Uh, I didn't, uh, <sighs> but um, I mean, I put on a sort of slightly gruffer. Like I'm not taking any, you know, I'm not taking any poop from any of you, uh, sort of thing. <laughs> uh, I'm not taking. He was just. Poop. He was just like we we played this one scene where we were in a casino. Mm. And the guys had to the guys had to find their way mm. to get into the office where this safe was, where the item that they were trying to get in was stored. And um, like I'd I'd spent ages, ages <laughs> like writing mechanics for each of the casino games that they could play. So if they sat down and played. Um, went on one of the uh, uh, like the fruit machines so I had a dice mechanic so they'd be able to play it like if they played roulette the same thing uh, Dan did play a little bit of blackjack but I mean Pete just stormed in and basically knocked out a security guard and <laughs> things, things were not progressing fast enough so I was like I'm just gonna I'm gonna accelerate things it was literally like that like the scene in Anchorman where you see they go that escalated fast <laughs> yeah Dan, Dan was there, just like, right, let's play this cool while I'll sit at the table, play a bit of blackjack, mm. turns his back on Reg for one second. <laughs> and Reg... Pete's punched Reg someone just, out. Yeah, just sees, like, a red mist, basically. Um, yeah, I mean, so my... 
my my character was because uh, the way I saw it was one of the mistakes I think we made because we hadn't you know or one of the things I think one of the mistakes I think people make generally when they're playing pen and paper RPGs especially like short stories is they put their points into like everything and they sort of have one character that's not very good at anything but is alright at everything Um, and and then they try and solve all of the puzzles and all of the situations by trying to outthink them and sometimes it's just not possible to know what the, the DM actually wants you to do so I was like, do you know what? For this game, I'm just going to go full strength. So I pulled all, put all of my points into, you know, being a badass in terms of strength and writing my character in a way that was just like, yeah, he's a nightclub bouncer. He doesn't take any mess. Like, he's just, you know, all of these things. And then playing to that character was a lot easier because it was like, For well, you. obviously, obviously he's going to kick off. Do you know what I mean? Like, obviously he's going to kick off because that's, that's just in his nature. When we were playing it, as well as thinking what we had to do, we had to constantly be mitigating what you were doing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. But, but Richard, the, the best bit was, was that we kind of reached this climax and they had, like, the team had this nemesis that they were going for. And, um, like, they, they, they managed to escape from this prison cell and, like, this nemesis, this inspector, um, who was uh, working on the side of the baddies all along. Um, he was at the end of this corridor and they had to face off against him. And Pete proceeded to like roll a string of terrible dice rolls. Yeah. Whereas, <laughs> whereas Chris, who was playing a 17-year-old boy who was based on the character <laughs> Marty McFly, just... He, he went from... It, it was incredible. He was just rolling 20 after 20 and basically took this guy out. Oh, and, and Pete playing this massive um, burly bouncer which just like just couldn't do anything and the best yeah. moment of the whole thing was once Pete had broken into the armory and like Pete tooled himself up with a shotgun with an assault rifle and had like a full bandolier of ammo it was just like and commando cr- or something like that yeah, oh, yeah. Full and on, he yeah. was just like I'm gonna Rambo this shit <laughs> like and and uh hmm. And Chris, Chris's character, Marty, also picked up a, an assault rifle. And so um, Reg goes storming into this, like, main police area. Like, I, was, I gave them opportunities to get out covertly at this point. Can't just make that clear. Yes. But yeah, but you also... Just, Pete was on the team. There was no covert Pete, Pete, that was going on. <laughs> Pete went full out. And so he stormed into this room, and I made him make a, an intimidation check. And... <laughs> Even with the boon that he got, he rolled about four or six. Yeah. So, so it was very easy for me, just like, yeah, they're not intimidated. They just start like walking towards you, and then Chris goes, right, I roll an intimidation check, rolls a twenty, oh, and it's just like, yeah, they they all put their hands up and they're like scared of this seventeen-year-old kid, and Re- like Reg's arc from intim- like the first thing Reg did in the whole game was throw someone out of a pub. And then, <laughs> like, really intimidating and, like, full on. And then he just went to this really, like, unintimidating pussycat of a character. It was yeah. brilliant. The amount of times in that game that my character just kind of rolled his eyes and sighed at uh, what Reggie was doing. It's like, oh, for God's sake, not again. Yeah. yeah. Did it take a long time to write it, Sam? Um, I think we had about 
was it about a month between playing Dan's game to playing? I think yeah, so. About mine. a month, month and a half. Yeah, about a month and a half. So, and I think that whilst I wasn't spending every night writing it, I was certainly it was at the back of the back of my mind constantly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and as I said, like for me, it was all about that initial image of and that initial thought of wanting to make the pulls from the Jenga tower feel like they're part of the world rather than f- like a conceptual thing, which they are in, you know, the actual rote yeah. page of Dread. Yeah. So I had the idea of the heist in my mind and then it was, and then a piece of advice that Dan gave me was kind of like, like think the scene and then work backwards. And because one of the great things that Dread does is works to a three-act structure. So I was kind of like, right, the, so the first act is the setup. The second act will be the, the, the heist. And the third act will be the escape from the situation. So once once I sort of got the mechanics in place and, you know, this is what I'm going to use dice rolls for and this is what I'm going to use pulls from the tower for, the rest of it, came into place and I think that I I definitely overwrote and overthought the first act right but then <coughs> second and third I'd kind of developed a, 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 a way of writing that um, a, a way of writing bullet points that wasn't too prescriptive because in the first act it was kind of like well if the players do a then yeah. Y happens yeah. if the players do B, then mm. X happens if the players do C, yeah. and try to think of every single eventuality. Yeah. And, and and that was kind of, that kind of made me feel comfortable. But as soon as we started, like all three of them went off piece. Like, <laughs> I, I, like they didn't go, in, they didn't pick any of the directions that I thought they were going yeah. to do. Like, and Dan warned me that this would happen and I didn't, and I, and whereas I believed you, Dan, like I still didn't understand the full extent of what that kind of meant. So it's yeah, like you like, you were like playing a choose your own adventure book that you had written, and they decided to pick up a copy of Harry Potter instead, or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We brought our own pages. One of, the, one of the, one of the things that I did was that the the initial idea was they'd all been sent this envelope with um, a code in it, written in Playfair cipher. Yeah. And the code was a clue to which drink they should pick when they got to the bar. And on picking the right drink and sitting down with the guy who was setting up the heist was, that was his way of that was his way of the character testing them to go, Yep, yeah, you're the right person for the job. You've been able to decipher this code and you've picked the right drink from this bar. So let's go on. Yeah. Pete and Chris didn't decipher the codes Dan had deciphered it but decided that his character wouldn't actually pick the drink right, so can, I, can, from... I, can, I, can I admit something uh, no, I'm, I, may, I may have told Fibs when we were playing the game and tried to blame it on my character <laughs> I just didn't realise I had to pick an ale <laughs> well that was well again that's but the thing is I didn't like factor in for that mm. so like and it's and that's bad game design, isn't it? That's just with board games, with computer games, with everything. Like assuming that your players are at a certain level of knowledge as you're going in, that's just bad game design. I, I assumed going in that 
um, Dan, Pete and Chris would be at a set level of knowledge. They would have deciphered this, they would have picked the drinks and then we'd go on. Yeah. But because I'd assumed that level of knowledge or that <coughs> level of competency, I guess, um, <laughs> uh, like my ho- the whole first act was a lot had to become a lot more improvisational and off script than I planned because Dan was just like, well, I didn't, I know that was the right drink to pick, but I didn't want to pick it. What are you going to do now? Yeah. And I was like, well, well uh, 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 and. Mm. I, I then think... spent 20 minutes deciphering the other two codes that they hadn't bothered to decipher. <laughs> <laughs> was so, it, was it, did it make it more fun, though? Because you were having to improvise, did it then... Did you panic, or was it a bit more... I, did it I flow think that, better? Or? Um, I think that at first I panicked, and I think that was part of... I didn't know their characters enough and how they would behave... So I couldn't play to that in a way, which I think is something that comes from a bit more of a longer campaign. Like if you were doing D&D over months and a massive campaign, I think as a DM, you'd be able to go, right, I know how that character is going to react to this. Like I know how, if I put this in front of that character, I know how they're going to behave. But because it was essentially the first time I'd, I'd met you all, yeah, I think then, we're similar to that as well. I think it's it's the first time that in that situation we were we were the characters as well. So we're mm-hmm. kind of fe- putting the feelers out on what our character would do in these situations as well, yeah. and kind mm-hmm. of testing things out. If I look back on it again, some of the decisions I made were probably token things that yeah. just yeah, because yeah. I knew the character had this in his backstory. Oh, I'm going to play on that when if you were playing it more naturally, then I wouldn't. It would have been a much more subtle thing, that kind of thing. I think that comes from the the I think that's part of the limitations of dread. I think if you knew that we were going into like a long month long campaign, I think we'd all be a lot more subtle and probably wouldn't be um quite throwing so throwing people out of pubs within the first ten seconds. <laughs> listen, listen, that guy that guy was really getting on my nerves. He deserved it. Yeah, of course he did. Totally deserved. But as, but but as as the game went on, and I was kind of like, right, those are those characters, and that was it. And then I think that the game moved on a lot more. And I kind of made a mistake with the first act. Like I designed it to be essentially a puzzle room. So right. with uh, with each of their piece of paper, I'd laid clues on it and different sort of. Um, numbers and orders about how to solve things in order to progress within the first act and again that's kind of that was playing towards Pete, Dan and Chris rather than Reggie, Marty and Jimmy Yeah. Um, so I think that was a mistake and once we moved on from that and I was playing with um, Jimmy, Reg and Marty, the characters rather than the players then the game was able to. I, th- I felt like after that point, like the game just went and went and went, and we all had a lot more fun with it. And I, ge- I genuinely think that you might enjoy um, uh, this because it's a game that I think has got very little fanfare. I mean, it was released in January of this year on PC. Uh, and Steam, but it's only just come to the Vita and PS4 now. 
about a, uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's called Darkest Dungeon. Oh, oh yes, I have heard about yeah, this. In it, it managed to it managed to get some it managed to get a fair bit of fanfare when it came out on Steam, but the, the yeah, console release has been quite quiet. Mm. Yeah, it just I like I um, we were get, we were given a copy. I was given a copy by Red Hook Studios, um, and I kind of looked for it on the PlayStation Store after it was released. And you have to do a little bit of digging to find it, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is a bit of a surprise. But I, I genuinely think, and Peter and Dan, you saw me playing a little bit of it whilst you're around at my my house. Uh, I, it is one of the most interesting and unique, like RPGs and dungeon crawlers that I've played in recent times. Yeah, and yeah, the like the main hook of the game, Richard, is that stress and like combat stress is a is a permanent thing so unlike in like tomb raider or far cry 3 for example where you know lara experiences one instance of like combat stress and ptsd um but then gets over it yeah again ludonarrative dissonance um (laughs) (laughs) you can't uh, get it again we've already done bingo (laughs) (laughs) um in Darkest Dungeon, the effects of what you do and what you put your characters do sticks. Always. So, Sam, are you doing this because I sent you a link the other day to a Star Wars <laughs> dicey card game? Is this you getting oh me back? <laughs> have you if been searching like, if... around for a game? Because I am, I am, I am basically <laughs> like some kind of evil dice addict devil for Sam where I keep tempting him with stuff all the time. You are the the, the devil sitting on his shoulder saying go on, buy some. Just another six cider. But is this you now getting me back and saying alright well I know what I'll get him because I know he likes Dark Souls (laughs) and I know he likes a little bit of RPG nonsense and so now I'm going to hit him with Darkest Dungeon which I have heard of which you're about the second person that has said to me you need to get this um yeah because it is fantastic i think i think it is telling like just to kind of set it up that you had this uncle or family member and he was you know the richest person in town like had this massive house on the hill and basically he got bored with his decadence so he um uh started exploring like the dungeons beneath his estate and uncovered lots of like eldritch horror kind of stuff and um bad things and like occultist items and like awakened lots of horrible horrible nasty things and like brought the house into ruin and you and he dies and you effectively it's like you play his heir and you uh are tasked with investigating the dungeons like after him and so the game is kind of centers around you taking like four heroes on different journeys through the dungeon so when you go into a dungeon you have a specific task whether it's investigate 90% of the rooms or like complete 100% of the room battles that you get in and um, like new characters and new people are arriving into the hamlet all the time um, so you get this like constant like 
recycling of people like to take on quests and by god you need people um because not only are you like fighting lots of creatures but you're also fighting the stress that these characters go under and unlike in tomb raider and in like far cry 3 and lots of games really where <laughs> yes. like the, the the stress of battle is kind of like this forgotten thing like oh that's a good narrative yeah. i've just gone through extreme body tra- trauma there's only one thing to do go and mow down 150 guys <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but whereas but where but like darkest dungeon like flips up on its head so if you if a enemy scores a critical hit on one of your guys like your guy and several of the rest of the team will will receive like stress damage like the stressful impact of what's happened to that character has a massive effect on the team and if you let your players get too stressed they'll end up working against you so i played it and uh, one of my characters you have like this sort of like stress indicator as well as health so your health goes down and your stress goes up so once your stress reaches a certain point um it's like almost like the point of no return and they kind of they'll become like irrational or they'll become paranoid and once you get to that point they'll start like just passing on your turn and just refusing to go yeah. because they're too stressed yeah. out or they will just act like they would they will just go headlong into a situation or they will start bringing the rest of the team down and start influencing the other team and trying to send them as mad as they've gone like they'll go like oh this situation just died like there's no hope for us like we just should turn back and you see like all the other characters in your team starting to get just as stressed as your other character and you're just like what like what do you do like like some of the situations that you find yourself in because of that are just so unique and beautiful and um like to try and um increase the stakes a bit i started naming all my characters so i've got a chris i've got a peter i've got a dan yeah i've got sam um and dan's doing very well i hear dan is doing really well dan contracted syphilis great and um Dan also <laughs> Dan Dan got Dan got really stressed. I'm doing pretty well in the in, game as well. Yeah. <laughs> Dan got really stressed in one dungeon um oh, crawl that I did. And so basically once you once you survive a dungeon, you can either like go through and complete all the objectives for a dungeon or you can retreat, but retreating causes your characters to um get even more stressed out by the situation like the failure of defeat and that that has effect on them but you can alleviate the uh symptoms of stress by you can take them to the church and they can meditate or they can be um flagellated is that the word flagellation uh or you can take them to um the uh pub and they can gamble or they can drink and all those kind of things like help relieve their stress or you can take them to a brothel great dan is refused entry to the brothel because he has certain predilections that uh are not met i have very particular tastes so um so he has reached a level of notoriety within the town that if i was to alleviate some of his stress like i have to find another way of doing it that suit 
that suits him. So Darkest Dungeon is kind of like like I'm not a big fan of micromanagement games, but because Darkest Dungeon has this wonderful personality about it. Yeah. Like I actually don't mind it because I feel like the world that's that's created around it is so well fleshed out and idealized and 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 to top it all off like your whole adventure and your life within this game is being narrated um i don't know if you've played bastion richard i've played a little Um, bit of it yeah yeah so so you know the narrator in bastion like if you were to kill someone like they come over the top of your game and it's like oh slain in style yeah yeah like it just pulls you into that world like the whole of darkest dungeon is narrated by this wonderful like baritone like gruff like overlord of uh, uh of a of a narrator and just like brings this whole like decorum and theatricality the, to the proceedings um and it's it's absolutely wonderful and i don't know what dan or pete you thought of the game when i was playing it like just watching it over my shoulder yeah no it looks really really fascinating um the art style is really lovely yeah. like that like in it's almost like inky gothic uh it's like it's a very sort of simple you know it's a turn-based combat on a sort of 2d playing field Mm. um but the amount of life and depth they bring into the art really like brings it out i think it it's a it very much feels like a management game a quite a, a relatively dry management game that's made yeah. not dry by the fact that it's got an amazing uh, I mean clearly the gameplay is really good but it's also got you know a really cool um, sort of hook to all of it this this psychological it's, element well, um, yeah. and, the, and the beasts are pretty gross too right like they're really like really well designed and really thought provoking and it's, yeah, so it's, you, it's, you, got, it's got that like Lovecraftian uh, oh yeah cthulhu-esque horror rather than like it's a ghost it's more like here's a terrible beast that tormented soul yeah yeah tormented soul and like some like half like lovecraft liked uh quite a lot of like beasts that were one like two things melded together like there's a lot yeah it feels like there's a bit of that yeah it looked really really interesting i've watched it i have watched a twitch stream of this because my friend Jeremy Greer, who is the worst, <laughs> and I'm going to say this on any podcast that I'm on, Twitch streams some of this, and I sat there, and he continually was saying, "You have to get this. You have to get this because it's eight. <laughs> it's eighteen pounds." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "No, I can't because I'm not buying any more games." He says, "No, no, <laughs> no, no. It's not this. It's not a game. It's a micromanagement horror. It's stressed out of his." It's stress beyond stress. You're going to hate it. He says, think of it as kind of like a little bit of self-hatred just for yourself. And I was like, no. <laughs> so he's been on at me, and now I come on this, and I get Sam on at me as well. Yeah, it's everywhere. <laughs> I just, you know, yeah, the, I don't know what to say. I really don't. The, the game the game doesn't like you, and I think that's part of its detriment. <laughs> well, like, like, it has to join the list, because not many people like me. <laughs> 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 like like um like um dark souls like you have to come to terms with the fact the fact that you the game is not on your side and the game doesn't want you to succeed and um i think sometimes you can feel a bit like cheated out of battles and cheated out of 
situations um like you'll just be walking along a corridor and suddenly all your characters will just like get really stressed out for some reason like obviously because they're in this massive like dungeon and they're being attacked by all these like horrors um but still that can be enough just to tip like all your players over the edge Mm. and i think that um that's a bit to his detriment and also i think that the game is at home on the pc and um uh i i've been playing this on the ps4 and it is a little it is a little bit fiddly like right. it, I, I I've seen people play it on PC, and I think that like navigating menus and because you are having to manage quite a lot of stuff, yeah, that some of that navigation's obviously easy to do with a mouse. I'd be really really interested to play the Vita version. Yeah, yeah, so would I. I think that on Vita, if this has a lot of touchscreen integration, I think this could work, really, work really really well, well because yeah. Yeah. the the battle the battles that you do are quite. Quite short, like you can probably be in a dungeon for like twenty minutes, half an hour, like kind of your average commute. And I think that, um, like that sort of play style and that sort of management really plays well. Um, and it doesn't uh, need on, on doesn't a, need on online handheld. though, does it? So it doesn't need online, no. so you can oh, stop this. <laughs> I'm starting to feel stressed. Well, well, well. Let me let me tell you about something that you can download and play on the on the uh, on the train and the bus and something like that. But you can download it for free. Oh, that's is that good. okay? Mm. Is oh that all God. right? It's a, it's a cash thing. Yeah, I know. Um, so uh, I've been playing uh, a really lovely game called Maximum Car, uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that that was that was kind oh, of like when goodness. you're naming a game. That's kind of like the first. Th- that was the first name on the list, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That was the that was the. Oh, we can't call it this. And then the, somebody just goes, "Yeah, yeah. Let's just do it. Let's just go ahead with it." Um, this is uh, so. Um, it's from I Fight Bears, and uh, they their previous game was a game called Fist of Awesome, uh, and Fist. So very good at naming games, obviously. Um, and um, Fist of Awesome was a. 2D side scroller in the vein of Streets of Rage, except for you were kind of like a woodchuck and you had to go and fight bears, the alien bears that had invaded the world and taken over, and then you had to go and beat them all up and stuff. Uh, okay. So naturally, I was like, brilliant, I'm all about this. Um, and Maximum Car, um, I take it you guys have played like Outrun and Burnout? Yeah. Burnout, like, yeah. 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 Okay. So, um, I loved Burnout 3 uh, and I love Outrun I tried to play Outrun actually uh, on, on the way to Sam's but my PSP broke I was absolutely gutted um, But so I was playing Maximum Car instead um, and it feels a lot like those two games uh, Outrun in terms of its not necessarily its visual style but the tone it's going for right? so Outrun was always about more than just oh it's an arcade racer outrun was always like actually it's a style it's like it's a it's like a way of thinking about driving like yu suzuki was always about uh you know i want you to feel the luxury and excitement and speed of driving a ferrari when you play outrun in the arcades and and that transitioned into all of the outrun games that was kind of a big thing about it um so it's got like a a style all of its own i guess is what I'm, i'm trying to say and then in terms of uh, visuals. It looks like I guess some people are going to like refer to it as like Minecraft, but it's really just voxels. 
Uh, so it's like quite blocky and so yeah, on. I've so seen it. Looks, it. I've seen it. I it can looks, see it now. It looks, yeah, yeah, it's kind of it's like, lovely, right? Yeah, it does look lovely. It's also got it's, one of the best reviews ever. Cause it's what's a, the best review? The be, it's his best game since Club Penguin. Well, there you go. Brilliant. Like, I mean, if it's better than Club <laughs> Penguin, like, come on. Um, so in terms of like gameplay, uh, it's like it's basically Burnout Three. It's what 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 Burnout would have been if it was condensed down into a mobile game which is it strips away all of the periphery uh, of like it's not you know you, you've got set races there's an endless mode as well uh, and it's an arcade racer where you can boost and you can uh, drive into oncoming traffic or try and you know avoid oncoming traffic for extra points and, and for, for bonuses and for score and stuff like that so very much like burnout uh, and you can take out cars, and you get a fu- you know you get a slow mo flip of the car that you take out. It looks really really awesome, um, but it's like super over the top, uh, both in terms of its drifting, uh, which you know you you put the back end out all the time basically, but also in terms of like sometimes you're driving around like this cool island style blocky area. Uh, and then sometimes you'll be driving around this like candy land. It's like pink, and your the dust from your the, your uh, back wheels look like rainbows. Uh, you know, it's it's really really cool in that way. Um, and yeah, basically, as I say, it feels like a it feels like it feels like I Fight Bears kind of boiled down Burnout Three to its core fundamentals, and then made it a free to play mobile racing game. And it's, yeah, it's really really cool, really fun. See the thing is, like I, with all the remakes that we're getting and all like, on, especially on consoles and things like, like that. Why, why all these like Burnout stuff is getting shoved to mobile and not no one's like making, like Burnout for, like a re for a console. Burnout for console. Yeah, yeah, but but here's the thing. So so. If you go into it expecting this is going to be a burnout experience, I think you'll come away like feeling like it's a lighter experience than you were expecting, because it is very much a okay, go race, okay, do the thing, okay, now you're done, okay, go away and 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 do real life for a little bit. Like it's it's not meant to be the that burnout three of okay, you do you're doing a race and now you've done that and now you're going to do go and do crash mode and now you're going to go and do this other thing or it's not like burnout paradise where it's like okay now you're going to go and find these things in the world and but jump through like it's very much like straightforward it's mu- it's much more the aiming towards the okay you've got four minutes we're going to entertain you as much as we possibly can in those four minutes um and it it feels really alive on mobile because of that because it's not trying to be a really big you know, half-hour play session uh, kind of a racing game. I do agree with you. Like, it'd be great to get some of the Burnout uh, games HDified. And with EA recently saying that they are actually up for doing HD remakes now, whereas previously they were like, nah, it's like maybe we'll see Burnout and Skate and stuff like that uh, in, in the near future. I mean, do, do um, you, on that point, kind of Sam, do you think that kind of... I was just trying to think about what racing games are coming out now. And the only big racing games I can think of that have come out have been the likes of Forza and Gran Turismo. The likes mm. of Need for Speed, although they might have released an iteration, that's kind of fallen into the background. We haven't had a burnout for a while. Forza Horizons. I, know, I mean, for, the Forza games, I mean, as we've, we've kind of discussed. But they're not Sims. They're not... I mean, no, the the, for, the Forza silly. standard are though the Forza games. Yeah, they definitely are. Yeah. But then, but that's what I'm saying. The, but the Forza series, as well as like kind of the Gran Turismo series, yeah, they yeah. they're kind of predominantly take 
kind of leading the way with racing games. Need yeah. for Speed have really fallen into the background now. I think with 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 their racing games. As we said, we haven't had Burnout for a while. Is there a reason do you think that racing games aren't being made as much? We've got Forza, and I, as as I said to you, said to you before, Forza Horizon is the first game that I've looked at and thought I want to buy an Xbox One now because it looks that good. Mm. Um, and I and I'm not a huge I'm not even a huge fan of racing games, but that just looks amazing. Um, I do just when Sam mentioned that I thought I can't think of any other big big racing games that have come out really. Mm, I played well, mm, yeah, racing games wise. I really enjoyed I I really enjoyed Dirt Rally, which was good, but it was yeah. not real kind of racing. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Last yeah. game. I mean, there's a lot of Sims like Project Cars and yeah. all that sort of stuff. Project Cars. I mean, you had, was, you had Trackmania Turbo, but that mm. wasn't massive. Mm. No, God, no, it didn't do. As far as I know, it didn't do brilliantly, which is a shame because that was a great game. What was the last? I try, I think try I to remember just... the last game I played on the PlayStation Three, which I really loved, which was the kind of the Burnout clone. Was it Need? It wasn't Need. Was it Need for Speed? Hot Pursuit. Was it Hot Pursuit? Yeah, Need for Speed Hot Pursuit was the one that was. It was made by uh, the Burnout team, yeah, uh, and it was they saw it as sort of like a spiritual successor it was to fan- Burnout Three. It was and Revenge and stuff. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was great. But, yeah, but how long ago lovely. was that? That was a good, good five, six, seven years. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's a long, long time in gaming terms. Yeah, yeah. I you've mean, got to, you, you've got to follow the money, surely. And I think that the studios associated with these games have been kind of so with. So what would was it Dice or Black Box? Black Box. Black Box did. Uh, I want to say they did one of the Need for Speeds. So hang on. Let's do. So let's, do a little, let's do a little bit of do research. A, bit of, a little bit of research here. Um, so the most wanted team, Need for Speed most wanted was Criterion. Uh, Need for Speed Hot Pursuit might have been Black Box actually. Uh, and Need for Speed Rivals is Criterion. Rivals is Criterion as well. Yeah. Uh, and you can tell actually, because it feels like Burnout Paradise. Need for but Speed Most Wanted. Not quite as exciting, or is it? Most I, yeah, so I, I really like Most Wanted. I spent a lot of yeah, time on Most I Wanted. I thought Most Wanted was good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Black Box uh, were <coughs> another one of those um, uh, companies bought by EA mm-hmm. and kind of left to make some stuff. So the last one they so they made skate they made the skate games. Mm-hmm. And then they made Need for Speed the Run, which was released five years ago, and since then they haven't done everything anything. So I think that it's one of those games I think that, they got shuttered, actually. Yeah, like they have got or they are gonna get shuttered like EA have got a massive history of doing this, which is why I'm worried about visceral games. Mm. The it's just another studio that they've bought and that they're uh, just gonna let to die. I think that that's probably part of the of the problem that you've got these studios like Criterion and Black Box and Dice who are all trying to do interesting things with um, with racing games like that moment in Burnout Paradise where with a PlayStation camera you take a photo to like burn the person that you're yeah brilliant that you're racing with like, absolutely fantastic but that's not going to make EA any money now is it like or a another big publisher I just think that. We're maybe heading into a a portion where, like, what what was the game? Was it Disney who were making a um, a racing uh, game that got cancelled? Yeah, Disney or? Disney uh, had a studio called Black Rock, 
and they yeah, were making it. and they made in fact they made a game that came out at the same time as another game uh, basically two racing games that were quite similar came out at the same time uh, one of them was called Split Second and it did really really like mediocre and that was when uh, that was owned by Disney I want to say I think yeah um yeah, and was, yeah. then uh, there was another company making a very similar game at the same time, I think called Blur. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Uh, and again, that was like big, over the top, really good. And both games were really, really good. Like, uh, don't get me wrong, they were really good, but like. Blur was really yeah. good. I, re- I played Blur yeah. for a bit, that was fantastic. We've not mentioned Drive Club. Yeah, true. But dri- again, like, you look at Drive Club and Evolution Studios now is going away because Drive Club didn't do very well. Like, which, same is with the crew. Travesty, which is a bit of a travesty because mm. yeah. I once it got over its initial hurdle um, yeah. once it got over its initial hurdle and, and it was actually working it was a fantastic driving game but then yeah. it was a down to was it did they almost all give over value in terms of the DLC because I remember going on I remember deleting Drive Club off to get some more space I remember putting it back on again because a couple of my mates were like oh let's play Drive Club and I was like okay let me download it and then having to sit and go through and kind of download about 50 different packs because they seem to just be releasing stuff all the time and it was fantastic but I'm not surprised they didn't make any money because they they seemed to charge you for the season pass and because they felt so guilty about the debacle that was surrounding it the the online stuff I think because it was was it not meant to be the kind of the first PlayStation Plus for play, PS4 yeah, this game was their big. Yeah. This was it, wasn't you, it? You, you would, you were, yeah, you were going to get it for free. You were going to get the PS Plus version of the game, mm. um, and the whole thing was just a, a bit of a mess, really. Which is a real shame because it is a good game. Oh, I really liked um, it. Fe- yeah, it feels, yeah, it felt really, really good, and, like really enjoyable to play. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, I, I think, think that if if you look at it right, like, let's have a look at those three studios. So BlackRock Studios. Um, they make like Split Second and Pure, which is um, which is another sort of uh, rate, like a quad biking racing game. But Split Second, I, I definitely remember around the time. I mean, it was six years ago. Like releasing like this game, which was like you could put obstacles in front of races and all this kind of like a really sort of showboating racing game. Mm. And that's it. Like, I, I mean, I am looking on Wikipedia, but that's the last game they made, bought by Disney. You know, shut down. Look at Criterion. That Criterion is like a classic electronic arts thing. So let's get this team who make Burnout, who made Need for Speed Hot Pursuit, who made Most Wanted, who made Need for Speed Rivals. Great team. Right now, you're working on Battlefield Hardline. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're working on Star Wars Battlefront. Same with Visceral. So Visceral make Dead Space One and Two. EA buys them. And now they're making one of the uh, Battlefield games. Yeah, Battlefield Hardline, and now they're working on a um, a Star Wars game, apparently. But that's, but, but that's classic AAA studio development, though. Like, I mean... Well, look I what always... happened to um, uh, the developer of Mirror's Edge. It was kind of... Or DICE. Yeah, DICE. So EA buy them, promise of making Mirror's Edge 2, but not after you've done Yeah, this. but... Put some time into making us a nice Star Wars game that's going to make all the money first, please. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, uh, but big AAA studios do this. This is this is how they run businesses. Like Ubisoft is the classic example whereby when it when they 
when they get into the final someone told me it was like the final three to six months of the latest Assassin's Creed game uh, there's 1,200 people minimum working on the project at any one time yeah. across you know across six different time zones uh, you know and and it's just the way that it's just the way that those big companies work because you've got to create so many assets and so many things in sh- such a short amount of time that you've just got to get them done you know Activision did it with Neversoft back in the day they were like oh that Tony Hawk's game that you made for us was really good why don't we just buy you cool now you're making Guitar Hero like mm, yeah yeah, yeah all, all of that stuff and you know some some companies have found really great success doing that, those sorts of things you know like Criterion was making Burnout and you know some middleware stuff and, and then going on to doing really really cool things with EA licenses I think those games are really really neat um, but yeah you're right there is always that danger of oh, you know overstretching a studio or putting a studio into something that it's not really comfortable making um, well, they're just but, just there uh, to create assets. Here you go, guys. We know you've got you know fifty staff that are really good at doing this, and we know we well, can yeah. get you know more work out of them because they're used to doing yeah. so much more. So tell you what, we'll ship ship you into this team, and we know that you can create um, so much more then, or you can push people. But, to but do if it that's more. but ultimately, like in some ways, I can completely understand it because if you've got you know if you've got a bank of 20 3D artists who are sitting around doing something that's you know maybe they've got maybe they've got three or four months before they need to spool up on the actual project that they're meant to be working on mm. you've got you know you've got th- let's say you've got you know let's say you've got 20 3D artists in another studio that's in another part of the world and you say right okay actually what we want you to do is we want you to make a bunch of cars here's the design doc here's the visual doc yeah. here's how everything needs to look yeah. doesn't really matter where you are in the world you just need to figure out how much how long they're going to take and then do them um, like in some ways as you know, as, as uh, having the job that I have, in some ways, it's absolutely fascinating, and I can completely understand why they would do it because twenty three D artists at AAA salaries is a lot to be having sat, sat around not doing anything. That's a big expenditure. Yeah, um, and it is fascinating from a production side of view because it's like, well, how do you coordinate with somebody who's halfway around the world, like a team that you've never spoken with or met ever? Like, how do you coordinate and make sure that you're all making the same similar looking, you know? Uh, Art assets and stuff, um, but yeah, like at the same time, it's also like well, purity of the experience, purity of of the vision, all that sort of stuff, and it's how you end up with games that look with assets that look slightly wrong or uh, games that are slightly ajar with one another. Like I don't, you know, I, I don't know how boring this is, but like from a production point of view, like Deus Ex: Human Revolution, the boss fights in that were made by a studio that wasn't actually making the main game. They were outsourced to just do the boss fights. Oh, I cared about this, yeah. So the main studio was making the core game, and the core game everyone, you know, everyone seems to really like. And I think it's it's fine. Like, uh, but the boss fights were universally panned because they just weren't really part of the main game itself. And that's where you've got two different studios not really talking to one another, understanding what the overall objective of the product actually is. Yeah, and. And you can see that to a much lesser degree, but it's still there when you've got one studio working in, you know, San Francisco and one studio working in London, and they're not quite 100% sure what all of the visual assets should look like. Mm. Um, but is it also not the but, case that you now get the money men more involved who walk in and say, mm. this game did really, really well. It had pink and purple squid that you could attack oh, yeah. people with. And oh, we yeah, need yeah. pink and purple squid. It's like, but we're doing a game in a desert. 
I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. I, yeah. Put them in bubbles oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. or something. It, 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 like, this is a, you know, this is, you know, films feeding into, um, like, games, you know, media and culture. This, you know, is, the, the, yeah. the bleeding the bleed in from one feeds into another like and do do you have any any of us like have any worries that suddenly we'll get like a, a like a homogenized and very like sort of bland like board game industry because of this or can like like board games largely maintain because they're very sort of singularly focused like it's one person's creation it's not you know there's not like a a studio behind it as as such like do you think like they're able to avoid this kind of malaise with with like generating a game yeah and i'll tell you why because with a board game its ideas seem to be more open than than the kind of the games kind of industry than i would even say the movie industry i mean we were talking about when me and sam last spoke we were talking about um Temporary, that temp worker assassins, yeah, which is a board yeah. game, which is a card game about you playing as a ninja who doesn't have any weapons, who have to go yeah. up against office workers who are bosses using various stationery in order to kill those bosses. Now you put that <coughs> into any other genre, you know, you put that into any other medium, a video game. You imagine you pitch that to a game producer, they would say, okay, but how close can we get it to a first person shooter how close can we get yeah, it to this call, kind call of game you know, how but close surely, can we get surely, it to that whereas you know but surely the audience are the same though well here's a, mm, okay so, so 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 i think there's 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 two points to this right so the first one is I think there still is a whole bunch of different creativity and so on like i, I do think that creativity is still really really high okay so like yeah you know, in video games, say, in video games, like just as that, just as it is in board games, and it might not be the absolutely massive AAA scale, like huge productions and stuff. Well, but, like Darkest but in, Dungeon, for example, like that's someone's idea. That's someone's seen a problem with games design and gone yeah, right. Yeah, I'll I'll fix this. And and like so 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 the you know. There, there are those kinds of games, but there's also games like Viscera Cleanup Detail, right? Which is a game about <laughs> it's a it's it's a it's a it's a, a first per, it's a first person it's a quote unquote first person shooter. But the idea is basically that you're coming into a first person game and cleaning up after everybody's left. Yeah. So you're you know you're mm. cleaning up all of the blood and putting all the health packs back and doing all that sort of stuff. You know all of those things, um, and and that's really really weird and out there and, and different and, and the indie space is, is definitely where a lot of that's happening and, and indie studios are getting bigger and bigger and bigger yeah. and they're still being allowed to do those things you know Goat Simulator for example is a, a, another really good example on the flip side of that the reason why AAA in games isn't as uh, experimental let's say as board games is that you know if you spent a million dollars making a board game I you know that's a very big production i you know i can't imagine i can't i have no idea but i can't imagine the production of pandemic legacy costs more than a million right mm, no whereas if you spend a million dollars on a on a video game i mean <laughs> shem you three i mean well, hey now well, like, hey now i mean let's don't. face well, it I mean, let's face it but, that, ain't but, getting, that ain't getting much for a million quid you know 
Yeah, I mean, like a million, like a million dollars is, I don't know, like a a studio of thirty for a year. Yeah. So, so what we're saying then is that that bringing it back to like Dan's original point, uh, is it the fact that like racing games and the car games that we want just cost too much to make? So they're too much for an indie studio to take on and design, Mm. and it's too much for a big. AAA studio to take a risk on. Well, isn't there an expectation yeah. of how the game's going to go? Look, I mean, I looked at videos yeah. of Forza Horizon, and that is spectacular. If you gave that yeah. to an in, if you give that to a smaller studio, they're not going to have. There's no way they're going to have the assets to be able to create something like no. that. And you, and you think yeah. of like, but but that's building why the, the physics of that world. But that's why with indie studios and arcade racers, they're actually you've seen recently with things like uh, Redout for example, you see that the futuristic racer is where they go because if you focus on futuristic races, like for example, or cartoon races or something that's just not ultra-realism, well, how how does an anti-gravity vehicle uh, drive? You don't know. Like, no one knows. So you can get away with stuff like that. You can get away with ultra-minimalist graphics because... Uh, because why not? Like it, it's the far future. But if you were trying to do a racing simulation, or if you were trying to do a big, you know, bombastic, explosive, uh, uh, you know, arcade racer of the the mid to late nineties and early noughties and stuff, then yeah, again, you probably want stuff to look really, really amazing, and that's just not going to happen. Mm. And actually, to come back to the thing that started this conversation off about twenty minutes ago, uh, maximum car. <laughs> uh, the, Which I've the, downloaded. That game, can I just say? Nice, excellent, <laughs> good, good. Um, like, uh, like the the the, you know, the I think one of the reasons that they've gone with voxels is that the game looks really cool in motion, like really smooth and uh, and, and explosive, and uh, lots of cars on the track and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's not ultra HD. You know, it doesn't look like real racing. It doesn't look like uh, you know a Gran Turismo or anything like that. Um, so it can get away with being more bombastic and explosive and detailed without actually being more without actually being more expensive to produce in terms of mm. visuals, and therefore you could take a, a you know you could take a bigger risk on it. You can make a free to play indie game uh, that's you know uh, which it, in itself is a is a is, is a big risk. Yeah, which I um, think with the board game side of things, I think that's why it's very very if unless you're making miniatures. Which when I spoke to yeah. Um, yeah. Mantic and they said it's like ten grand to make a the tooling stuff to make a resin miniature yeah. or a plastic miniature, whereas if you're printing off a card game, you can probably do a card game for about five grand, and then you just oh. stick oh, yeah, you stick easy. your stuff on Kickstarter yeah. and then you're good. Which means you can put any idea up there. I mean, you know. I mean, not even five grand. Like, I mean, printing costs for a run of, you know. However many, like you can get a, a run of a thousand for, yeah, maybe a couple of grand. Yeah, well, like uh, yeah, d- I'm kind of asking, but, the, so, I'm kind of saying that to the the guy that's done it, haven't I? Because <laughs> you've done, well, but it's a pres- <laughs> pres- but presidential, it's, the presidential election of the election, presidential election. Yeah, that's the that's that's what we call it. <laughs> the, 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 weird, the weird the weird thing is our, our title's not that much snappier. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, when we were making elections of US America election, the card, <laughs> uh, uh, the. You know, like yeah, like we've you know we've been doing, you know, they're not cheap to make. They're not they're not anybody can do it. But at no. the same time, they're a much lower risk yeah. than 
than doing something else and that's why we you know that's why you can do a game with a dumb title like that that's why you can do a game that's a little bit controversial in terms of you know american politics and mm. and it's why that when you go to kickstarter and ask for you know however much it is that we ask for like yeah as long as you meet those goals you know you're at, in the very least making a small profit out of it and then anything on top of that is just golden yeah um, which is why the entry so, level is yeah. so much smaller so you were able to make that yeah. a reality yeah. so somebody who's yeah, sitting exactly. here and saying I'll tell you what, I'm going to make a, my card game is going to be about putting away my clothes after I've ironed them and you, oh. you know, with dice do it but you could dice. you could make that you could get it tooled yeah. up, you could get the dice done you know, you run a good campaign you're asking people for say, you know, 5k and there will be people that will do it for 5k if you turn that maybe oh, into a video game, hmm, I don't know. Right, so I had to call up my um, TV, internet and phone provider. I won't say mm-hmm. which one, for no. reasons that will become clear. Yeah. And and we were just chatting about um, stuff, going over my account. Just chatting, hanging just out. Chatting, How are just you? hanging out, just like, hiya, hiya, how you doing? The guy, the guy finished a call, and he's just like, uh, as you know, Mr. Turner, uh, when we started this call, we had to ask you lots of details about who you were and where you live and what your certain details are. I was like, go on. Is this, is yeah. this a part where he goes, those are things you shouldn't have revealed, but yeah. luckily enough. And then he went, um, I'm just going to introduce you now to a new system we got, um, and it's called... Um, it's what was what was it they called it something really douchey and corporate like yeah, uh, yeah. voice reco security <laughs> okay. and and um, I'll pass you through to the automated thing just follow a few uh, systems and you'll be introduced to our new security software and I was like okay and the phone literally went beep, beep, boop, boop, beep, beep, boop, boop, and this automated voice came on and was just like from now on your enter IP provider here. <laughs> Yeah. ISP provider here um, will use your voice t- as your security feature for your account. Please repeat this phrase after the tone, and we'll use this for your security on your account. So now I don't have to remember anything about where I live. I just oh have my. to repeat a phrase, and apparently yeah. the system will just recognise who I am. Which, no. as a guy who's been making podcasts for ten years yeah. or so. Like makes you very worried about someone yeah. splicing together. So <laughs> I I went into full radio mode, and so they give you this phrase to say, which I'm not going to say, just in case someone no. really wants to like let me into my account. <laughs> yeah, starts putting like Sky Sports onto my account or something like that. It's yeah. broadband yeah. with Sam Turner. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's what I did. I was just like, this is my broadband. My name's Sam. Something like that. And like, did it like proper pro. Like, oh yes, it's Midnight Radio. Here are the Smiths. And I immediately regretted it. But like, because I had to do it about three times. So they really got like the essence of my voice, I guess. Mm. Um, You're surfing uh, the internet late at night. Yeah, exactly. That was it. And then I, I, after the second time, I was like, I shouldn't have. Because... Whenever, whenever do you ring up your ISP provider um, <laughs> in a good mood? Yeah. Like, like yeah, yeah, you yeah. are pissed off at them for something. <laughs> so every time I ring them up now, I'm going, like, oh, they've charged me for this. I'm like, oh, yes, 
I really want to speak to you. That would be great. <laughs> Let me in to my fucking account. <laughs> like, I should have just, like, done it. Just been like, yes, this is me. Please, I want to speak to someone. <laughs> yeah. I want to make somebody who's working in a call centre very upset. <laughs> I would like but- to talk to a graduate from a university who, th- who had bigger dreams, please. <laughs> I want to speak to the man who thought this was a, secu- a safe security procedure. <laughs> I'd like yeah. to say to somebody, listen, I know it's not your fault. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, I just, part of me just wants to ring up again now to see if this actually works. Like, yeah. I just, like, welcome, Sean Thompson. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh yeah you let it to someone yeah, else's account. Oh my word, so are you basically now saying that Rory Bremner controls the world's wealth? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, dear. So that was Staying In with Sam Turner, Daniel Frost, special guest Richard Simpson and me, Peter Willington. Massive thank you to Richard from We're Not Wizards for joining us on this episode. We really do think you'll love hearing him talk about games on We're Not Wizards, so head on over to we'renotwizards.com for plenty more insightful chat about all things board games. And do say hello to them on Twitter via at We're Not Wizards. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Mixcloud, Acast, Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Play. We're everywhere, basically. So wherever you prefer to get your podcasts, hit that subscribe button. And if you'd like to leave us a review too, then we'd be really grateful. We do read every single one, and it really does make our day when we get a new one. Visit stayingin.podbean.com for more information and links to the comics, games, movies, and more covered in this episode. And come find us on Twitter on at Staying in Pod. Thanks for listening.